It's the criminal code of the underworld and a sacred vow of silence. But what happens when a criminal turns witness against his own? MCD presents Omerta, a live show with me, Nicola Talent, in association with Crime World on April 27th in the Olympia Theatre Dublin. Tickets on sale now at ticketmaster.ie. He is a politician, remember. Okay, he wasn't at the very top of the political game, but he's still a politician. And politicians are, to some extent, used to cross-examination, used to scrutiny. And if you've ever interviewed a politician, which I know you have, they really do fill up the air. One of the first things they learn is, don't answer the question you're asked. Say what you want to say anyway. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Jonathan Dowdall told the special criminal court that Patsy Hutch's sons Gary and Patrick Jr. started the Kinnahan Hutch feud when they attempted to steal 4.6 million euro in cash from the home of Daniel Kinnahan in Spain. They had planned, he claimed, to shoot the mob boss but blundered it and shot boxer Jamie Moore instead, kicking off the feud. In a dramatic second day of his evidence at the Regency trial, the state witness said he was on tablets when he gave an interview to Joe Duffy's Liveline show following a raid on his home in March 2016. And he said that the Regency hit team were all the monks' family and friends, naming all but one of the six so far in his testimony. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about Dowdall's claims that he learned to waterboard a man from TV, that he took a bag with him just to fix a plug when he brought Jerry Hutch to meet members of the new IRA in Donegal, and about his complaints about prison conditions, where he says he's known as Dowdall the Rat. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So it's been a terribly long day, but if I'm tired, Jonathan Dowdall, I'd say, (laughs) has gone home to prison to rest and recuperate. Yeah, I mean, it is gruelling even to try and write through those court cases. But so to be answering questions with so much at stake... It's going to be, it's going to knock the life out of you, definitely. Big time. Like a lot of the media, uh, you know, people that are there, they're doubling up now. And, you know, even the court reporters who are usually well able to cover a trial, it's got so busy that there's two of them and they're trying to make sure yeah, that they they're keep They're dovetailing, the, make, leaving early and exactly. letting another person take over. Yeah, Because there's so much, there's just, it's so vast. So it started this morning and Dowdall retook the stand. It was a little bit late Um Yesterday, when it finished, the prosecution wanted to put a few uh, clips from these recordings to him to kind of allow him say what he meant or, you know, what he had intended to say. Obviously, the prosecution are, you know, those tapes have been played. Some of it, whatever way you look at it, doesn't sound particularly good for Jonathan Dowdle, which he, he does accept in... In his testimony, I mean, there's bits about potentially kidnapping people and potential bombings and, you know, him talking about uh, how to operate timers for, for, for car bombs. And he obviously gets into uh, one point, I think he, he discussed today, didn't he, about the, the discussion they had about the IRA potentially killing the hitmen, the Kinnan yes. hitmen. So the six, they seem to be the only people so far not named. The names are coming out fast and furious. In actual fact, you could do with a board in the office somewhere with all <laughs> the names on it, to be honest with you, because trying to follow them all. And by the way, Fluff was mentioned today and I've worked yeah. out exactly who he is. Y- yes. Willie Gallagher. Yes. Yeah, fluff. yes, Fluff. He doesn't look too fluffy. He doesn't, but uh, term of endearment, maybe. I maybe. don't know. Somebody maybe thinks he's fluffy. But Anyway, but, you were correct because uh, I kind of giggled at you yesterday uh, when sure. you came out with that. I'm exactly. I'm, I'm always right in the end, Nicola. You're you sort of you. used to me giggling at you maybe <laughs> as well. Yeah, I'm finding out I'm right in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so right. He does, he so, does say that Dowdle in court when asked about the hitman conversation. He said it was just loose talk. I don't think there was any substance in it. They never would have agreed to do anything like that. That's the IR or the, the dissident groups agreeing to take out the six hitmen. I mean, that's basically the tenor of what he said, isn't it? That yeah, he, that's what he said about that. That it was all just him trying to impress Jerry, yeah. loose talk, acting the big man. So obviously that that's his case, fair enough. Um, but, you know, obviously the state are also saying, however, Jerry's talk was 
was not just loose talk. It, it is to be taken, um, to be considered as, as something serious, you know, so. Now, Dowdall is very assured in one way. Yeah. I mean, he certainly is a person who completely believes what he's saying and he's there, he's sworn in the Bible and he says he's telling the truth all the way and he's very adamant about things. Like, his testimony today has been blow your mind stuff now, but yeah. especially under cross-examination, which we'll get on to. But he really believes what he's saying. Yeah. And he's very assured. I mean, in the early part of the court, they talk about, you know, this conversation that they had, that they're talking about the yokes. And he was asked what he meant by the yokes. He says, oh, they were my words. And by the three yokes, I meant the three AK-47s. Um, he goes on to say that he was engaging in small talk a lot of these conversations he was having. That he was kind of sort of saying, I think, that he was trying to, f you know, fill the white noise yeah. of the car. Um, he says very assuredly he never knew Shane Rowan before he met him yeah. after the Regency, but that it was Patsy who had, um, was telling him about Shane Rowan and etc. Um, he, these bits of the, the uh, tapes, when you hear them again today, you realise how difficult they were to actually follow. Yeah. They're very grainy, very noisy in the car, but and then the, you know, the, the transcript is up on the screen. So there was about five or six bits of these tapes um, played. In one of them, he talks about, you know, the bit where Jerry Hutch says the six hitmen didn't yeah. even know who each other were. Yeah, so he, I mean, at one point, Jerry, Jerry Hutch, they're discussing the Regency shooting. They're saying that the hit team, you know, obviously the three guys dressed as Gardy and the, the driver and the two, the two other guys caught outside, including Flat Cap. Jerry Hutch says, even they don't know who each other are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously in a bug conversation, so. Yes, and they also at that point are talking about um, yeah, they're talking about the guardie that they haven't a clue and that they're all over the place, kind of. And Jonathan Dowdall says that in relation to that, um, a lot of the stuff he was talking about, he had sort of read in the papers and it was stuff he'd been told. Um, he said at the time that he believed that... Um, Gary Hutch was killed by the Kinnahans, he said. He knew that much. And he said he'd, he'd been told all this. He said that he knew that Patrick and Patsy Hutch knew Kevin Murray's name, but he didn't. And he says sort of about Hutch saying that the um, the gunmen didn't know, know each other, that he was lying to me. You know, I hadn't a clue at that stage, he says, and I believed him. But he didn't, that they, that they didn't know each other, these hitmen. In other words, he hadn't a clue who this, this yeah. Regency team were. He believed that Hutch didn't know, that none of the, the, the people knew who each other were, but now he knows that he was being lied to. And he's brought up before that he kind of only found out the truth when he went into Wheatfield Prison. Yeah. Um, so he was obviously was housed with the Hutches for most of the time he was in, in that prison. He was initially actually taken in to a dissident uh, Republican wing, but ended up with the Hutches ultimately. Yes, and he says that when he was in there, was Patrick Hutch Jr. in that prison with him? But he may well have been on in on remand at some point. Um, Del Boy was also in there at, at a certain point. Yeah, he talks about him speaking to him in the prison and stuff, but he seems to either fall out with them or he's claiming that he starts, you know, because he's he's been drawn into this unknowns to himself, he starts to want to distance himself. He speaks about that later. But he says that at the time he was in Wheatfield himself, that he thought Patsy and innocent people were going to be killed and that he was sort of trying to, at the time, put himself forward as this sort of peacemaker, as yeah. a bit of a, um, you know, a person to try and help as, a, as a, an in-between to mediate because he believed, he said, that Patsy's sons had been wrongly blamed by the Kinnahans. Yeah. He was told, he says, that Gary was, was murdered and that Patrick Hutch was shot, but that they hadn't done anything, essentially. Yeah. Um, then he went on to make extraordinary claims about what he now knows of the situation. Um, but he was saying that he was sort of duped by them. He says a number of times um, when he hears the conversations back, he says, I'm ashamed of what I said. And, yeah. he, you know, he's, he doesn't want to hear, hear it. He's, he's embarrassed. And he was really only trying to act up. Um, 
So, I mean, does he address the fact that Jerry Hutch says in that bug conversation, which they clearly didn't know was being bugged, that that even the hitmen don't know each other? And the fact is that Jonathan Dedal's testimony also is two weeks earlier, um, Jerry Hutch told him that it was him and Mago Gately. Um, yeah, well, he's asked about that largely in, in uh, the cross-examination because, of course, that wasn't recorded and they don't no. discuss that. No. But he, under cross-examination, he's asked in detail about that now and I'll, I'll tell you what he has to say okay. about that because that is obviously a key part of his testimony. Um, so in the last clip that they played to him, they talk about the people that are to be protected Hmm. by the I, by the IRA, as they're calling them at the time. Now, what I didn't get in the first bit was uh, there's a reluctance on Jerry Hutch to give a list of people to them because right. he says that he, do, he doesn't really trust them, I suppose, and he doesn't want to give this list, this list to be given on to the Kinnahans. Yeah, he's cagey at all times, Very Jerry, cagey. in those tapes. I mean, it, when you listen to them, you realise how he's very, very cagey for a man that doesn't know he's being bugged. So he he basically, you know, Gave very woolly answers, I think, to all of it. It was either that, oh yeah, this is what I meant. I didn't say that, but this is what I meant. Or else it's kind of like, I didn't mean that. Yeah. I was just saying it, but I didn't mean it. Yeah. This kind of thing. So that was kind of the end of his, um, the prosecution case. Yeah, so they brought him through his statement, basically. It ended very abruptly. Did it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did. They didn't speak about the prison or anything like that? No. The prosecution? It was really abrupt how it ended. Uh, Sean Galan just sat down. Yeah. Um, I would have thought as a prosecution witness, he was in one way assured, but another way he wasn't making a huge amount of sense. And I'd say Sean Galan knew that he was going to be really sort of cross-examined yeah. Yeah. hard, you know. But anyway, Brendan Grehan got up in, in the afternoon and he said to him, you know who I am and who I represent. And he started by saying to him very straight out, my position is that you have lied and the two big lies are heard in your testimony and they're to do with uh, this hotel security card, which he claims he was asked to drive down and met that Jerry Hutch came out of the shadows and took it. And the second was this confession that Hutch made to him in a park a number of days after the Regency. So he he said that when he was giving his evidence, it struck him, this is Brendan Grehan, that um, Dowdall had taken on this sort of role as a good Samaritan. He was obviously much more friendly with Patsy than with Jerry Hutch. And he didn't really like to admit that he was a good Samaritan, but he did say that he was... He admitted that he was more friendly with Patsy, that he didn't really know Jerry. He's kind of, again, a bit woolly about whether he knows him or he doesn't know him. Yeah, I mean, he, he obviously spoke again about um, meeting him at the boxing club where they were both involved. Jerry Hutch was, was very much involved in that boxing club. So, And he obviously spoke about knowing him from being a teenager yesterday. Um, but I suppose he's trying to suggest that he, he knew him but didn't wasn't an intimate friend or an intimate acquaintance, but he clearly was with Patsy Hutch. I mean, there's, there's He no describes him, according to Brendan Grehan in his statement, and I haven't heard this yet, that he, he's like an uncle to him. Um, and he says that he knew Patrick Jr. the best. He didn't really know Gary, he said, or Derek, but they had sort of worked on this stall and they were kind of gone to Spain by the time he was... Um, I would have thought he was more... The age of Gary or well, Derek. I suppose he was maybe had a maybe he was operating the stall himself and had those kind of guys working for him. Maybe less so with Gary, you know. So he very quickly in this cross examination says that you know he knew one story and then when he got to Wheatfield he found out the real story. So he brings this up again very quickly in his cross examination, and Brendan Graham says to him the real reason for that is because because the um, that the essentially that the feud started and the families started becoming, you know, estranged, I suppose, the Kinahan and the Hutch families. He suggested that the real reason for this was because Daniel was supposed to shoot Patrick Hutch and give him a flesh wound, but he actually shot him through the bone. Right, which is, yeah, which can, I don't know, because these things are never reported to the, to the Gardaí or anybody else in, in that manner, but 
Mostly, I think, as I said yesterday, these kneecappings, they just shoot them through the muscle, which is painful, but, you know, not really uh, recoverable, put it that way. Um, but obviously, here's an implication that Daniel Kinnan personally shot him in the in the knee, which could cause serious... But like you were saying yesterday, you can find so many points where this feud starts, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You can find the shooting of Jamie Moore and what happened in Spain. You can find the shooting of Gary Hutch as the yeah. starting or, point. Or even the attempted shooting of Jerry Hutch in, in Lanzarote. Exactly. So, I mean, but also, like, you have to remember at this time... Um, Although to hear Daniel Kinnan named as a as a gunman, a personal gunman in in court was still a bit of a, a wow moment, I suppose. A lot of this information was out there. Mm-hmm. Now there was obviously the Kinnans were operating um, social media sites, putting out a lot of this information. Certainly by March, mm-hmm. it, am I not right? I mean, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I mean, certainly stuff about about. Um, they were the first up and running with them. Yeah, and there was so. But Jonathan Dowdle's case is here that he didn't either didn't hear that or didn't believe mm-hmm. it. Now he certainly was reading the papers quite avidly. Oh, you can I hear mean, that. he keeps mentioning the media and most of his a lot of his information. Yeah, and he actually came in so quickly with this business about this, you know, the shooting, and then what I'll tell you now about what happened in Spain. Um, he comes in really quickly with that in his cross examination that. It's like as if he's been wronged. He says Patsy told told that they, he was wrongly blamed, that his boys were wrongly blamed, that Gary and, and Patrick were wrongly ba- blamed. And yet again, he says, in Wheatfield, I found out the real reason why Patrick was shot. He says that money was in an apartment owned by Daniel Kinnan. Now, I think that was actually a villa that Daniel Kinnan had. 4.5 million, he describes the money, and that Gary and Patrick Jr., decided that they were going to take the money and that Gary was staying in the house and that Patrick Jr. hid in the bushes and he jumped out to kill who he thought was Daniel and shot instead by accident Jamie Moore. Yeah. Now, that money being in that house that time, I've heard that. Yeah. Um. Obviously, this is a story that Dowdall is saying that he heard when he was in Wheatfield Prison and he believes that now. And by this time in Wheatfield Prison, he sort of turned on Patsy because Patsy's told him lies and has drawn him into this situation. It's his narrative that he's been asked to try and, you know, introduce the Hutches to these IRA people that he doesn't know and then he does know. Um, And... Uh, yeah, he's, I suppose the, the the broad case he's making is that he got he he was he was lied to and became wrongly involved. If he'd known, as he describes it, Patsy's sons had started the shooting, he might have acted differently. Is yes. sort of the broad case he's 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 saying he's gallantly saying he did what he did because he believed there was it, this was an innocent family that yeah. had done nothing that were wrongly blamed and that innocent people around them were going to be shot if he didn't sort of step in yeah i mean it feeds into like there's a lot there's a there's a lot in that of course and i mean that there it is the case that um that people like Gary Hutch and other members of the Hutch organization you know they aren't blameless in mm-hmm. this feud. I mean, it's just as simple as that. Um, the, the shooting of Jamie Moore was obviously an escalation. I mean, what we believe is that there was a sort of a long-running dispute over money at that point. Um, Gary Hutch and Daniel Kinnan had been great friends, best friends. They at one point uh, earlier on in Spain, a number of years earlier, they shared an apartment. I think they'd been. Living like friends, you know, yeah. sharing an apartment, Joey and Chandler style. Um, so they were, they had been that close. Gary Hutch had been, you know, an absolute integral part of the the, the development of the the Kinnahan cartel, really. Um, but they had seemed to have had a dispute. Um, there's no doubt that Gary Hutch probably, almost definitely, was the mastermind behind the, sh- the shooting of Jamie Moore and that it was an attempt to, to, to shoot Daniel Kinahan. So that is all, there is all truth in that. Obviously, the what, what could be described as the Hutch propaganda machine have, have, have previously also said that they were ripped off by Daniel Kinahan, that they, they handed over a number of million euros to him and that that wasn't... Forthcoming when they yes it? when it was mm. wasn't forthcoming when he when he wanted it, um, but you have to say uh, you know 
it's it's that is the case. Um, mm. it, it's always been murky, and sometimes people have maybe uh, had a desire to 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 not look at the murkiness of of some of it. However, uh, you know there was a lot of innocent Hutch members, family members killed. There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's interesting to hear that perspective, but I do have to say, uh, like all of that information, um, really in the very aftermath of the Regency Hotel, a lot of that information was out there in public. I I do think. Do you but not? I do, but you see, in a way, what you have to to realise is that I would have thought that today, Jonathan Dowdall, while yesterday he was at pains to say it wasn't actually the provisional IRA I was talking about, it was the dissidents. Today he was at pains to kind of say it wasn't the Kinahan's fault, it was the Hutches. Yeah, yeah. Which so he looks to me like he has a little bit of a, you know, he's there, he knows the eyes of everybody is on him and he was very much um, repeating that over and over, that whole thing that he uh, he believed that the Hutches were wrong, but actually it was the Hutches that had started it all. He said, actually, when Gary Hutch was killed, which was in September of 2015, that Patsy asked him, could uh, Patrick Jr. come and stay in his house because um, he, he was going to be killed, he said. So he actually brought him in to stay in his house. It was a bit of a safe house. And there is another quote here, like um, he said that this is about Patsy and Patrick lying to him and he says, this is a direct quote, the real reason that Gary and Patrick is that Gary and Patrick had decided to take this money and kill Daniel Kinnan and they attempted to shoot Daniel Kinnan and they shot that boxer. And he said, then he later says, there's this thing in the media that the Hutches were innocently accused of things Dowdle said, the truth is that Patrick Jr. and Gary did what they were accused of doing and it and it didn't get out until afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So um, now Brendan Grahan actually suggests to him at this point, well, he says, you have a mixed relationship with the truth. So Dowdall says, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Brendan Grahan says to him, you have a mixed relationship with the truth. And he says to him, then, at the time you did an interview with Joe Duffy on Liveline, of course, that famous interview he did after his house was raided, he said, um, you know, you told the people of Ireland that you'd no involvement with crime, but you were going to be jailed for 12 years for uh, waterboarding a man. And, of course, that happened, that whole scenario was uncovered after the raid because during the raid, the Gardaí seized... Um, an item, a yeah, USB. They see, yeah, they seized the USB, in which case, like, you know, Jonathan Dowdle hadn't just uh, waterboarded the guy, he'd taken a video of it for posterity, I suppose, is it? Posterity even, but, you know, which is bizarre and kept it uh, in his in his drawer, I think, on a USB card. Yeah. And that was seized, absolutely, that wasn't what the Gardaí were going there looking for. They, As far as I know, they had no knowledge of this potential crime. They just took it uh, as they do when they raid a home and take all electronic devices and found an incredible video of a guy being waterboarded uh, by Jonathan Dowdle. And of course, um, uh, Brandon Grahan said to him, you know, he insisted, well, I wasn't involved in organised crime when I gave that interview. He said he was on tablets when he gave the interview, but he wasn't involved in organised crime. And Grahan eventually says, well, you're involved in disorganised <laughs> crime then. Yeah. So he said, um, so then they got into that whole um kidnap and Jonathan Dowdall says that he you know he deeply regretted what had happened he'd say he served his time in prison he had uh, the man had come to steal from him and that uh, you know he he was there to defraud me he said um he said that he shouldn't have done what he did but you know that was the reason he did it for basically and in prison he said he attended open university courses and did a big psychology examination of himself Very as good. to why he did this i mean it has to be said that 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 wasn't really accepted in 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 the court that the victim was trying to defraud him and it was absolutely not accepted by the victim at all obviously it said in court john Dedel. Get, it's free to say what he wants, but that's not a... a well, he a settled, said it again. Well, it's not a settled narrative, you yeah. know, let's put it that way. Oh, he's very much sticking to that again, and he went on to make allegations about the victim in that case, that he had, you know, done this to other people, that there was... He said that at one point that he just took the video because he wanted to use it to make sure that this man didn't go and do this to anybody else, defraud them. Um, he, you know, they go back on to the this relationship with the truth, which obviously Brendan Grehan is getting at because he's trying to um, 
say he's not a reliable witness. I exactly. mean, that, that's explicit in, in what he's saying. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that is the job of the defence, of yeah. course, in any case. But I mean, unfortunately, with Dowdall, there's a lot to go on, isn't there? There's a lot to run on. There, there is, like, I mean, you know, not involved in criminality, but, you know, we're also hearing other things about, you know, contacts with Republicans and registering vans and not in your own name, etc. So He said that, um, you know, he he insists, he continues to insist, I wasn't involved in, in organised crime or any criminality when I, um, you know, went on the Joe Duffy show. Um, he said that he wasn't in work. He was very stressed out at the time. He was on tablets. The media were hounding him. And he sort of picked up the phone. He's not blaming now the, you know, the Joe, Joe Duffy show, but that he he went on and he was kind of like a bit all over the place. But he still wasn't involved in organised crime. What he actually said that day was the truth, he says. Um, so Brendan Grehan, uh, you know, said to him, well, you went on because your house had been raided. Do you know why your house was raided? And he said, oh, because of the Regency. And he said, no, it's because there was a suspicion that there were explosives and firearms in your home and that you and your father were both senior members of the IRA. Yeah. That's why. And he was sort of pointing out to, well, is this not criminality? So he said, um, also, the raid happened within an hour of the AK-47s being uh, seized. By the Gardaí, By yeah. the Gardaí. Um, he said, Jonathan Dowdall insisted at the time the Gardaí searched my home, it was in relation to the Regency. And uh, Brendan Grehan said, um, you know, it wasn't. It was, the, yeah. it was because of explosives. Oh, he said, but they didn't find anything. Yeah. Jonathan Dowdall. And he said, he, he goes into then this kind of like, you know, Brendan Grehan says to him, you had also been introducing... Jerry Hutch and been asked to introduce people to members of the IRA. Is that not criminality? Oh no, he says. I mean, there was nothing. And then he goes into kind of asking him about these um, explosives, which we yeah. might go into in a little bit more detail. Yeah, maybe. I mean, so that that's gone back to the, the 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 conversation he has, the recorded conversation in the car, where he he sort of mouths off about how Jerry. He's sort of talking to Jerry Hutch about how a car bomb could be done and how the explosives work and how it could, how, you know, at least there's an implication that Jerry Hutch could use this information. Brenda Grehan actually says to him, in relation to this sort of bomb making conversations, he says, You've sought to explain this away to Gardee and here in court as bravado. And he, he says, Dowdall says, I wasn't doing anything with bomb making or circuits. I didn't even know how to do that. And anyway, I was under surveillance and when they raided my house, they would have found something if I was doing anything. So that's proof that I wasn't doing anything. He also focused, didn't he, Brendan Grehan, on a bag that, because there is surveillance photos of of Jonathan Dowdle. We saw them in court yesterday. Um, there's surveillance photos of Jerry Hutch and, and Jonathan Dowdle going into a house in Donegal. Jerry Hutch walks in, but you can see Jonathan Dowdle's carrying a kind of a carry-all bag, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I he want was asked, to find the details there while you're talking. Sorry, go ahead yeah. and have it here. So yeah. he's, he's kind of asked about that, um, you know, what did you have in the bag, basically. So he says that he had a tool bag with him, right? Yeah. And Brendan Grehan says to him, a tool bag? And he says to him, what were you doing? Like, were you fixing a plug in a very sort of smart way? You yeah, know, yes. kind of sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. And Jonathan Dowdall says, yes, I was fixing a plug. Yeah. And he said, you travelled from Dublin to meet the IRA with Jerry Hutch to fix a plug. And that is accounting for why you had this tool bag with you. And he says, yeah, what you know, what are you what are you saying was in my bag? Jonathan Dowdall kind of says in a sort of petulant manner. Mm. And Brendan Grehan says, So you were going to fix a plug. Well, where was the plug? Oh, he said it was a plug for his TV. This is all in Shane Rowan's house. Now, the man who's later caught with the AK 47s <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. pleads guilty and is jailed. He says, uh, it, the the plug was tripping. And he brought the tool th- that they had. Apparently, somebody somewhere had had a conversation and asked him to bring his tool bag with him in the Just midst bring, of this. So bring Jerry Hutch up. And by the way, bring up your tools. <laughs> because my TV's broken. Yeah. So, um, you know, he listen, he got himself into knots about that in a way because he said that the, the plug for the TV first was what he was fixing. Then he said he was fixing the socket and there was a problem with the earth and he fixed it. That's yeah. what he said. He he just did that little nixer, I think is what Brendan Grehan later describes it as. I mean, he was handing it to him on a plate in a way yeah. with that kind of thing. I mean, even if, well, okay, we have to believe he's telling the truth, but you'd nearly 
be better off to say nothing than that. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was an implication. Brendan Graham was talking about the explosives and the carry-all bag and asked them, I think, at one point, was was there some something to do with the timing switches and stuff like that in the bag? But this is what Jonathan Dowdle is saying now. It was just his regular tools as a qualified electrician. Exactly. And he just came in handy. And he asked him about the conversation that was had with Jerry Hutch when he kind of explains to Jerry Hutch how to make a detonator. And he said, well, like, I mean, if you know nothing about this bomb making or anything, how come you know about that? And he says, oh, he saw it on TV. Yeah. So um, he saw as well, sorry, but the waterboarding, he was asked how he knew how to waterboard somebody because it's very, very dangerous, like you could kill them. Yeah. And he said, again, he saw that on TV. It's always on TV, he said. TV has a lot to answer for, I suppose. It does. Uh, Brendan Grehan says to him, so you're telling me you couldn't build a timer, you didn't know how, and Jonathan Dowdall says, yes, I don't know how. So he said to him, I can't can't, un- can't understand why somebody with electrical skills wouldn't know how to build a timer. And he said, well, he doesn't know how to build it. And uh, he was bluffing when he said he did know how to do it. Uh, so th- it all comes back to this, you know, bluff, yeah, telling fibs. Yeah, the things that, are, that, that sound bad are, are just bluffing and... and Tough guy talk, I suppose. No. So did he did he say what TV or anything on each station? No, but he went back to Brandon Graham went back to this waterboarding with him as well and to the details of the, the case because clearly that's really gave him good fuel to go at Jonathan Dowdle, sure. didn't it? Yeah. He said to him, um, you know, he was basically saying to him about this relationship with the truth and that the only reason that you know, he had pleaded guilty to this, that he'd gone to jail, that he'd served his time, that he was feeling remorseful about what he did to the victim was because he was caught. And he said, you know, it would never have come to light. Um, you know, and what, what did come to light, of course, was that he told this victim that he would hunt him down, that he would chop him up and feed him to the dogs, that his parents would be found and killed because the victim, Mr. Hurley, never went to police. It was only when the police went to them. So he was obviously terrified. He he said um, he was very clear that you said you were a member of the IRA, both you and your dad. And he, Brent Grehan, and you know, sometimes in court when, you know, some of the bad language, like, you know, yes. you don't like saying it. <laughs> on the podcast or whatever. Hmm. But Brendan Grehan also said to him, um, I think it was your father who told the victim that uh, he would chop off all his fingers so he wouldn't be able to wipe his arse. And Jonathan Dowdo goes, well, the fingers thing was true, but the feeding to the dogs thing wasn't true because I only had one Doberman at the time (laughs) and he said I was going to buy my second one, but I hadn't bought it. And Brendan Grehan, you know, it was a bit kind of funny. You have to not laugh in the middle of this. It's so serious. But Brendan Grehan said to him, um, Indeed, but that was the bit that was on the recording. So the the dogs thing obviously wasn't on the recording and he was suggesting to him that he only admitted to what he was caught for. Yes, yes. Um, he suggested at one stage to him, because they were arguing about all of it, will we play the tape again, he said. There had been some sort of a Newton hearing um, in regard to that guilty plea that he pleaded guilty and then he went into this big rigmarole about when they started reading this in the sentence hearing that he hadn't wanted to admit to everything that was being claimed in the sentence hearing and he was throwing in the DPP and the guards and everything like that. It was quite complex. But basically, Graham getting to the bottom of it was saying that you only wanted to admit what was on the tape and nothing else. And the victim you were claiming was telling the truth about what was recorded, but lies about what wasn't. Yes, and which is really heavily disputed by the victim, who's been very open and spoken to the Sunday world. I mean, to, to you know, it must be distressing for him to hear his, his character uh, come under attack again today in court. He moved on next uh, then to this to the room that was booked in the Regency Hotel. And obviously this key piece of... Uh, his testimony, which is centred on the key card, because Jonathan Dowdall has said that he was sort of duped and tricked into booking this room, that it was for Patsy, that a very complicated story now, Brendan Grehan uh, suggested to him that he's given about the room and how it was booked, because he said there was four people involved in it, because he said uh, that Patsy had phoned the father and asked the father to book the room. The father had asked Trish, the, his wife, to book the room, but had forgotten. Patsy rang them on the 4th of February, which was the day before the Regency attack, to say, had you booked the room? They hadn't, so they rang her. She booked it on a credit card that belonged to her father. 
Yeah, she reserved it on a credit card. And then he said that himself and his father went into the to the Regency Hotel and paid cash, I think, and but it was booked in his father's name. And came out of it. They questioned him about where he parked outside the hotel because his car, and he was shown this footage again yesterday, the car is parked away from the CCTV. Now, he said he knew nothing about it. He couldn't remember where he parked the car, etc. Um, so he, he's, he's a bit evasive about the credit cards and why they're used and how many he has. He says he doesn't know how many he had. He said then that he didn't actually have a personal credit card and nor did his wife, that they had the company credit cards, but that was very normal. He never booked flights, he never booked hotels, never paid any bills. The Trish did all that and that was co- completely normal. Um, he said uh, that when they had the room key, he rang Patsy and they were supposed to meet, he says, the father was supposed to meet somebody, a friend of Patsy's in the hotel to hand over the room key. But this person obviously didn't show up. He couldn't give a name or say who it was. He said they didn't know. So he was heading back home and he said he rang Patsy to tell him he dropped the key card in to his home in Champions Avenue. But Patsy said to him, don't come here. Um, instead, go to the Richmond Road. Um and again, he's slightly evasive about the conversation, how he's directed to this car park on the Richmond Road. Um, so Brendan Grehan says that this liaison is very peculiar. Um, Jonathan Dowdall said, no, no, it was all quite normal. This car park was halfway up the road. He pulled in to pull back around and head back down the road or something. Yeah, you can turn around, actually. I know the garage well, so it's kind of halfway down. It's a quiet place, so you could do a... You, you can't... Richmond Road's really, really narrow. So you could do a U-turn, I suppose, um, at that garage, no problem. Um, so Brendan Grehan says to him that, uh, you know, it was there that he was he met he met Jared Hutch. And this is the first time that Jared Hutch comes into this whole complicated booking of this room. And Brendan Grehan su- suggested to him that he's only putting him in there in the interest to incriminate him. And he said, no, 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 Dowdall said, I wouldn't do that to anybody. I'm not that kind of person. I'm telling you the truth. It was Jerry Hutch that showed up in that um, car park looking for the uh, the card. And he said he approached the car on his fa- father's side and the father handed him the the car, key card. the key card, and they had a bit of a conversation. And Brendan Grant says, "Oh, but you didn't tell us before there was a conversation." So they had a bit of a to and fro about that. The conversation was a "hello, thank you" kind of thing, which Dowdall was, I think you'd say, in fairness to him, suggesting I wouldn't have called that a conversation. Yeah. Um, but he said he just asked for the cards and left. And he, at this point, got quite irate in the box because he's kind of been called a liar, and he said to Brendan Grehan, well, bring my father in here. He'll tell he'll yeah. tell you the same story. And Grehan's going, your father? This is the first time we've heard of him. Oh, he'll come as a witness, he says. Yeah. And um, then he went into this big, long story about how he had told, you know, he'd said his father had always said he'd come as a witness, but nobody had asked him. The court hadn't asked him. The DPP hadn't asked him. The police hadn't asked him that the man was always willing to come, but... You know, he hadn't been. Now, this that was a bit peculiar. Yeah, it, you would I mean, have thought at this stage in a trial. Yeah. Um, so um, they moved on then from that, I suppose, lack of conversation from Jared Hutch uh, and the Dowdalls to the big conversation that he claims he had in the park. Yeah, in Whitehall. Uh, shortly after, just three or four days after the Regency, they said they've. Jonathan Dowdle's testimony is that Jerry Hutch, uh, they arranged to meet in Whitehall and they discussed various things, including the the photograph in the front of the Sunday World of of a man in drag and flat cap running away from the Regency Hotel. And he said uh, yesterday, he described how Jerry Hutch was very agitated, very stressed, and he'd never seen him like that before. Um, and that... This is a key bit of the state's case that Jerry Hutch uh, admitted uh, that day, admitted that he was part of the Regency hit team. Yeah, and Brendan Grehan sort of says to him, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that, you know, 
he doesn't stop talking this time that he has this conversation with you, that you you go along to this park. And he, he Dowdall says, but, you know, he'd never spoken to me like that before. He said, I wasn't his friends. I didn't go drinking with him. I knew him, but I wasn't his friends. So he said, Gretchen says, let's make it very clear here. You're suggesting that Jerry Hutch came along and blurted all that out to you in a matter of five minutes. He says, oh, it was longer than five minutes. Yeah. Um, he sort of said he didn't know why. He said that was the first time that he said to him that he'd shot David Byrne and he never mentioned it again. He didn't mention it in the car, in the recordings, but that he definitely said it to him that time. And um, Brendan Grehan said to him, you're lying, you're lying. He w- he didn't say that to you. You're, you're just, you were trying to... Um, you've only come up with this since you were charged with murder. Yeah. So in other words, you were trying to be advantageous about this and, and Dowdall says, but like, how how could that help me? And he said, well, you know, you were you only really started talking once you were charged with murder, he said to him. Look, I mean, the the, the, the case would be that, that the defence case would be that he's accepted onto the witness protection programme and that he gets a new life and, you know, that's a motivation um, for him to talk Um and that Jonathan Dowdle has clearly said that that's not his motivation. His motivation is to tell the truth and that he feels aggrieved that he was sucked into all these things. And Brendan Grehan says to him, it's exactly how you managed to get your murder charge dropped by coming up with this two pieces of evidence, basically, this supposed meeting in Whitehall in the park and the, the key card. And he said, you never tried to speak to the police before. So at this point... Dowdall, who was really tired now, as was everybody else sitting in the courtroom, went into a huge, big, long spiel about how he had tried to speak to the police, he said, numerous times. Now, he said that when he was um, arrested the first time, I think he was relating to 2016 when the house was raided, he said that he was in the station at the time and he went out to have a cigarette and he was joined outside by a Sergeant Porrick Boyce who's already appeared in the trial. He's a member of the SDU, the Special Detective Unit. And I think he was the detective or the sergeant who actually seized the AK-47 guns from Shane Rowan. He said that he spoke to Porrick Boyce and he said to him that he wanted to speak to him, but he couldn't do it in the police station because if he did it there, he said his family would have been killed. They were on the outside and they'd have been killed. Now, he said he had a second uh, time that he obviously met with Porrick Boyce or something and he told him again he wanted to speak to him, but he never came to him, he said. And he said then when he went to Patrick O'Toole, let me just get this right now, because he was a bit rambling about that. And I don't know, was he talking about Patrick O'Toole in more recent times or back in 2016? But he does mention Patrick O'Toole along this point. He talks about how um, he was moving sort of around the prison system. And once he got into the prison system, he couldn't speak to anybody. Now, that was from August 2018, he went into Wheatfield. So he talks about this sort of time between his arrest in March 2016 and a couple of occasions that he claims he sort of tried to reach out to the police and speak to them, tell them that he wanted to speak to them, but that his family were in danger and he had to be very careful. Um, He, in August 2018, when he got to Wheatfield, he said that he tried again to speak to a guard, but he couldn't. He was very fearful once he was in the prisons. He told the prison systems that he didn't want to go to Wheatfield, which was where the hutches were held. Yeah, see, initially Jonathan Dowdle was taken into the Portleash prison and he was housed with the Republican prisoners. Um, Then there was a bit of fuss in the media and he subsequently was either asked to leave or left the Republican the Republican wing and he was put back into the sort of general population. Obviously, the prisoners in Port Leash, the Republican prisoners have a very different regime traditionally. Um, but clearly, Jonathan Dowdle at the time could not be just mixed in with the normal prisoners and he was then taken into the, the hutch wing in Wheatfield where they're kept separate from from the any Kinnahan associates. So he ended up in Wheatfield after first going into Port Leash. And he clearly states that he didn't want to be there but was put in there and then once he was there he could do nothing kind of thing. His hands were tied and he couldn't speak to anybody. Um, he went into another sort of a, a big long story about 
something that happened to him in prison that Brendan Grehan made a suggestion to him that he he told a prison officer at one point that he'd get a double tapping on the back of the head. That was obviously some sort of a threat. And Dowdall actually says, I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually been investigated and it was to do with some strip search. He said that he was, somebody else being strip searched and then he was told he was going to be strip searched and he was made squat and he made a complaint about the officer and the officer he claimed came back and called him the rat Dowdall and asked what landing he was on and big long complicated story about how this has been investigated by the prison that the whole complaint that the officer made against him was dropped that and again we haven't seen any of these documents so we don't really know what was happening with that but he was very vocal about it um, Brendan Grehan sort of called him an opportunist and sort of said he was a little bit of a troublemaker and Dowdall said no he was very good in all prison and everywhere he went and Grehan and we're coming to the end of the day now sort of said to him like you know every time you are you have an opportunity you take it like you he says you brought a big long letter here to the court with the list of demands before you came and that was what happened when you were in court yeah, the other day yeah that's what happened yesterday yeah yesterday only gosh um he said that uh you see, we didn't, we weren't read the letter. No, the letter was was read by, uh, was handed up to the judges who who read it. Um, it was it was described by by the defence as uh, preconditions before Jonathan appeared as, as a witness. The judges gave it no mind and just said, on we go, he's just a witness. There's no special conditions to be met. And he just then appeared as a witness. Yeah, so... Brendan Grehan gave out some details from the letter because he was kind of putting it to him as that, you know, everywhere you go, you're always making demands. And he was, he, you know, he's clearly making the case that he this murder charge dropped and he had everybody over a barrel yeah. to give this evidence. So Dowdall said, um, sorry, Grehan sort of suggested that the letter was to do with painkillers, he was wanting medication, he wasn't getting that his prison cell was freezing cold, that he was going to have difficulty getting to court and that he wasn't ready to give evidence, basically. And he said that wasn't the case and they went over and back about his solicitor and then he said, Dowdall said that, yes, well, actually, I've had spinal surgery, I have muscle spasms, spasms, I'm on this particular medication, my legs start to shake sometimes and they don't work and he claims, claimed and claims in this letter that the prisoner withholding his medication that he needs. He said a number of times to the judges, I'm here, aren't I? I am here. But he's claiming that this medication isn't being given to him. So very strange altogether. So, I mean, I suppose there's they're, they're both trying to build up competing pictures. Mm. I mean, Jonathan Dowdle is trying to build up a picture that he was well-intended, that he wanted to protect the Hutch family and that he was sucked into all of this stuff um, all of this feud really um, against his will and if he'd been told differently he wouldn't have been there um, that he obviously did something wrong with the waterboarding but you know it wasn't it didn't make him an organised gangland criminal He's atoned criminal. for that he claims Yes the obviously did the the defence Jerry Hutch's defence team are making a com an opposite uh kind of picture, they're trying to paint him as somebody who's an opportunistic, who admits the stuff when it's to his advantage, and who, as he was, Brendan Grehan called him bluntly, a liar, mm -hmm. and that he is he is trying to manipulate the situation for his advantage, including being a witness in the trial. And that's probably not, he's probably going to be subject to another couple of days of cross-examination. But I think those teams are going to be present for the next couple of days but as well. But you know, like... He's a talker, yeah. Jonathan Dowdall. We heard him on the tapes mm. talking. He can't leave yeah. well enough alone. He has to keep going. And he's the same in the witness box and under cross-examination. He is a politician, remember. Mm. You know, he's a Shin, he was a Sinn Féin politician. I he's mean, a po strange witness, like. he's a Yeah, and politicians, remember, okay, he wasn't a, at the very top of the political game, but he's still a politician. And politicians are, to some extent, used to cross-examination, mm. used to scrutiny. And if you've ever interviewed a politician, which I know you have, they really do fill up the air. They do. There's and no you know, one of the first things they learn is, don't answer the question you're asked. 
say what you want to say anyway. Yeah. And, and like that is so. You know what? You have him in one. That's exactly it. I mean, he doesn't answer the questions a lot of the time. Yeah. He answers what he wants to answer. I mean, he went off on a couple of rants about the Regency Hotel, that he had nothing to do with David Byrne's murder. Now, he wasn't asked anything about that, but he got that answer in and was kind of, Grehan seems to be standing back and let him speak, I'd say, in that, in an attitude that you give him enough rope yeah. and he'll hang himself. I mean, when you think back just to today and there was so much today and that's I've been slow going through all those notes, but as you can see, I've nearly a full notebook yeah. there. There's no easy way of taking notes. You take them digitally on your 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 yeah, I think thing the and you're scrolling up and down. And sometimes when you write it, you, it's easier. But I just took a couple of little notes on the main, the key points of yeah. today before we sat down. And like when you think of the key points we have here, he says Patsy's st- son started the feud. Okay. Yeah. He said there was 4.5 million cash in Daniel Kinahan's house they wanted to steal and they sort of screwed it all up and that's what kicked it off. He's actually, over the course of the two days, named who he claims are five of the six Regency people. So he has Jerry Hutch. He named Patsy Hutch today as the driver of the getaway van. Yeah. He has Kevin Murray. Yeah. Patrick Hutch Jr. And Michael Gately. Gately. There's only one left that he hasn't named as of yet, right? He, I have scribbled down here, he he learned to waterboard somebody from the television because, of course, if you do waterboarding wrong, you drown somebody. So, I mean, I don't think I've seen much waterboarding on TV, but I'm maybe watching different programs. Look, I don't, (laughs) well, there's certainly not a step-by-step guide going on, I don't think. I have just the, the fixing of the plug in Donegal. I mean, look, we have to take it that he's sworn in the Bible, he's telling the truth, but yeah. it's so ridiculous, the yeah. idea that they were going up in the middle of that to try and work out, the states say, how to get those AK-47s, yeah. which are hot as hell, yeah. back up to the north, and he brings a bag to fix a plug on a television set. Well, save somebody a couple of hundred quid, I suppose. But. And then, you know, that did he know Jerry? Didn't he know Jerry? He's a little bit woolly about that. That he hid Patrick Jr. in his house. That's how close he was to Patsy. He was given a gym form in 2016. I have that marked down, even though it's not surprising, because gym forms, of course, are guarded information messages, which tell somebody that there's a credible threat on their life. And, you know, that was following the raid on his house. Um he was on tablets when he talked to Joe Duffy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he did, he's clear. But he told to, the truth. <laughs> well, it, it was, but he's clear to say, I never said it was Joe Duffy's fault. It was my fault for talking on air. So Joe Duffy's in the clear. And finally, what he said about Daniel Kinahan shooting Patrick Hutch through the bone and not the soft tissue in the leg. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. He's come out with more than he's been asked. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he, like, and I mean, there's another couple of days to go. Mm. So. We will see. Um, like he's he's an unusual witness uh, for a couple of reasons. In that he has a very very serious conviction, mm. um, and that he's also pled guilty. I mean, you know, he has pled guilty to facilitating the Regency Hotel shooting. Yeah. So, in some ways, like he's sort of saying, "I didn't do it," but he has also been in court just weeks ago. Yeah. saying, I did, like he's obviously pled guilty to yes, the criminal exactly. charge. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, people justify their own actions. And he's saying he's a complete innocent and yet he was in the thick of bringing the IRA. I mean, at one point, Brendan Grehan said, like, what were the IRA doing? Mm. I mean, since when were they mediators? Yeah, yeah. Why, why were you bringing them and inv- getting them involved in the whole thing? Because Patsy Hutch's sons were being wrongly blamed. Like, what are they to do with anything, he was saying. Yeah, I mean, of course, like, you know, in maybe in, in some people's eyes, dissident IRAs, guys are great guys to mediate a dispute, but I mean, they're not. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're criminals, they're involved in only bad stuff, you yeah. know. Now, he's a mixed up guy, I think, Dowdall, and clearly yeah, And he as was... well, you have to look at it, people justify their own actions, uh, you mm. know, and that, there's a, and that's not just for our sake. I mean, too, he sounds like somebody who's justifying his own actions to himself, um, to some extent. But he's extent. so long on his own, I suppose, yeah. do you know? Yeah. I mean, you're lying in a prison cell looking at the ceiling, and yeah. you have an awful lot of time to think about the whole well, thing, and he certainly, there's no doubt, but he believes in his narrative. Yeah, yeah. Whether the court believes it or not is going to be the real test of it. But he believes it. Yeah. Well, we'll find out if they do. You going down tomorrow? I'll go down tomorrow. Good, because I need a bit of help down there. Yeah. All right. For the moment, thank you. Thanks, Nicola. 
You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>